Welcome to this Walnut Wednesday edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to our special Walnut Wednesday report, we'll bring you a look at national and regional agricultural news here on the show today. And I'll start things off with a look at regional agricultural news right after this. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. The operators of California Terra Garden, one of the two mushroom farms where seven people were shot and killed on January 23rd, have pledged to build new permanent farm worker housing on its property in the aftermath of the violence. In a statement on January 30th, California Terra Garden said it would build new housing after collaborative discussions with local officials that uncovered a series of code and permitting requirements unknown before the tragic shootings that occurred. While the new homes are being built, which could take a year, the company stated it would work with local officials to provide workers and families impacted by the shootings with other housing options. The living and working conditions at California Terra Garden have recently come under scrutiny. The California Division of Occupational Safety and Health and the State Labor Commissioner's Office pledged to investigate the labor conditions at both sites. The state agencies want to ensure that employees are being afforded all protections of California labor laws, according to a statement. Kevin Kelly, Chief Executive Officer of Union City, California-based Emerald Packaging, is an anomaly in the plastic packaging arena. He welcomes legislation putting burdens and costs on the industry because he knows it's the only way to move the needle on eliminating plastic waste from the environment. In fact, he helped to craft legislation so it would be achievable and effective. California Senate Bill 54, which was signed into law last summer, requires all packaging in the state to be recyclable or compostable by the year 2032, plastic packaging by 25% in 10 years and requiring 65% of all single-use plastic packaging to be recycled in the same time frame. Additionally, the legislation shifts the plastic pollution burden from consumers to the plastics industry by raising $5 billion from industry members over 10 years to assist efforts to cut plastic pollution and support disadvantaged communities hurt most by the damaging effects of plastic waste. SB 54 is a good piece of legislation, according to Kelly. He says it sets realistic targets and puts fees on producers so they can reinvent the California recycling system. According to Kelly, the not-so-hidden secret is that much of the material that is placed in a recycling bins and collected each week by refuse companies does not get recycled at all. And he says we need to change that system. Touted as the most significant overhaul of California's plastics and packaging recycling policy in history, Senate Bill 54 pushes California further than any other state on cutting plastics production at the source while helping to build a circular economy that is necessary to combat climate change. Kelly is a big proponent of California leading the charge and theoretically putting the state's plastic manufacturers at a competitive disadvantage. Mandatory regulation, according to Kelly, creates a market which is necessary to move the needle, manufacturers will have to produce more environmentally friendly packaging to compete in California. He said consumers have already signaled their willingness to pay more for products if they legitimately help to improve the environment. 
With torrential California rains beginning in late December, the month of January did not offer the usual retail advertising opportunities for organic citrus, but the dawn of February shows many varieties are in peak volume with promotional pricing. It's go time right now, according to Craig Morris, citrus category manager for homegrown organic farms in Porterville. He says they have dozens of varietals and are about 40 to 45% through volume. Caracara, Mineola, grapefruit, mandarins, lemons, navels, and heirloom navels are all moving into the peak of the season, he says. January is usually a great month for citrus and considered the health and wellness month as many consumers turn the page on the calendar and commit to healthier eating. Unfortunately, for about a five-week period, that did not happen, but the crop has come through it amazingly well, and overall, it has been a plus, according to Morris. He says the storms have improved size structure, filled the aquifers, and there's a lot of white stuff up in the mountains. Most citrus improved about one size because of the rain, with grapefruit jumping up at least two sizes, he says. And the wet winter has continued with very manageable storms that continue to help the crop. Rain about every five days is great. He says they can handle that. In addition, the wet weather has helped the upcoming summer crops of organic lemons, grapefruits, and Valencias. He says there should be no shortage of citrus this summer. California's January storms may be paying their first dividends for farmers. The California Department of Water Resources has announced that the state water project may deliver 30% of requested supplies this year. That allocation is up from an initial projection of 5% in December. The final water allocation for 2022 was 5% plus limited supplies for unmet human and safety needs. A 30% allotment would allow the state to deliver 1.27 million acre feet of water to 29 public water agencies. An estimated 36.3 million trees died last year in California, a massive jump from the 9.5 million trees that died in 2021, according to an aerial survey report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture Forest Service. The trees, which were on federal, state, and private land, were killed by the effects of the state's prolonged drought in its overgrown forests, insect outbreaks, and disease. The Forest Service said in a news release that it is working with its partners throughout California to remove the dead trees to improve the forest's health. The dead trees span nearly 2. 6 million acres compared to 1.2 million acres in 2021, with the average severity of mortality becoming significantly higher. The highest mortality rates were in the central Sierra Nevada range and areas farther north, according to the Forest Service. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be Hero, superior bees, superior pollination. Prevention of navel orange worm populations can't be stressed enough for tree nut growers this time of year. Although pressures are lowest in walnuts compared to almonds and pistachios, being ready and taking care of sanitation now could be a game changer for some as we discussed on last week's Walnut Wednesday episode. Understandably, walnut growers are trying to cut costs, so where can any cutting happen that could still allow for addressing navel orange worm this season? PCA John Post and walnut grower Ryan Fillmore discussed the idea at the California Walnut Conference on a panel in January, 
and agreed that sanitation is not an area that can be cut. Now I'm going to cut, maybe cut back on collie moth. It surely hasn't been difficult the last few years for collie moth. But we have been putting on one Altacore spray, and it's getting us out through the, through the whole year. So I'm going to cut that Altacore spray. I've increased navel orangeworm. I'm going to cut back on my Botrysphere applications. I'm seeing a lot of ovipausing of navel orangeworm eggs on Botrysphere damaged nuts late into the winter, not, not even when the natural drop is occurring. We're going to cut our Botrysphere sprays. We've just increased navel orangeworm. So it's very, very difficult. We have to find somewhere to cut. We just have to if we're going to survive. Um, I do think, though, we can sanitize better, and I think that's where you have to start. That's the one that's not going to cost a lot more money. And if we do a great job of sanitation, not a good job. I mean, walnut growers really don't sanitize well. Ammon guys go out and shake them again. Pistachios go out and shake them again. We don't. We, we blow the leaves and we mow them up. You know, when it's, when it's uh, a, a nice time for us before the hunting trip or something, which we can get into later if we want to talk about some of these other ways to sanitize. But, uh, but that's the problem. If we can sanitize better, then maybe we can do some of these other cutting, cut costing methods and not affect navel orangeworm as much because the population is, isn't as large going into hull split because of the good sanitation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we heard sanitation hit. I think that's, that's your number one place to start out there. Cost cutting is hard, but where you could save yourself some cost is really uh, take a look at your harvest timing, get your harvest done on time as early as possible to maximize that quality. And then if you are going to go back and second pick, you might want to take a look and sample that orchard. You may do a test shake, see what's out there, see what type of damage you have. And you're going to have to look hard because that damage might, might be pretty small and pretty recent. But if you want to cut costs, save yourself that second pick, leave it in the field, mow it up. If you're going to see damage, that's probably approaching 5 to the 10% range because at this point, bringing that crop to market is not going to help the market. It's really not going to help you uh, other than it does get it out of the field. But, um, you know, you may save yourself all that cost of hul harvest and hulling and drying. That might be one option. UCCE's Houston Wilson agreed with the panelists and offered his insight from years of experience researching naval orange worm in the field. You know, you cut blight sprays, you cut codling moth sprays, like those are going to have effects on naval orangeworm. Naval, naval orangeworm's ability to infest your nut is contingent on its ability to get through the hole. And we talk about hole split and hole slip and all this stuff for spray timing because that's when the nut becomes vulnerable. Naval orangeworm cannot, a neonate larvae on its own, on a healthy, intact walnut, can't get through most of the time. And so there's this relationship. I think we were doing an interview maybe a year ago talking about navel orange root management starts with coddling moth management. Um, sanitation, yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about where definitely not to cut, I mean, that is the foundation of navel orange worm control. They, they overwinter in those nuts, and it's important to keep in mind that not only do they overwinter, but that first flight that comes out, they use those mummies as a reproductive substrate. There's no new crop nuts in March and April for them to attack. And so it's kind of this double whammy. And I am always kind of envious of the walnut folks because you got these giant nuts that you can catch and grind up. I'm always talking at these pistachio conferences where they're just banging their head trying to get these tiny little nuts out of the ground, get them ground up, and you can't mow them that effectively. So you, you have a really good opportunity given the kind of physical aspects of 
this crop to, to do sanitation. And there are some new technologies. Um, you know, some of the survey work we've done over the past few, few years with growers have uh, highlighted the importance, not, not so much of the cost, that's definitely an issue. And other tree nuts, you gotta get polling crews and things like that in there. I mean, it's 2023 and we still have folks with bamboo poles knocking nuts out of a tree. It seems like we should be able to do something better. And one of the highlights there from that survey work was that that was really more inclement weather conditions, which, you know, you guys right here in this, this period, getting heavy equipment and stuff out in the orchard is difficult. So um, much less field crews. And so there, there have been, and maybe I've seen some of this, there's some new kind of automated, uh, and, and again, the cost of this, I think really needs a lot of work, but you know, where they're sending in, um, there's kind of like this mummy battleship thing that goes out and it's shooting with biodegradable pellets, shooting the nuts off the tree, kind of getting to your point. I mean, it's a lot more fun to do it in person, but this thing can work day and night. It's on treads so it can go in, in worse orchard conditions. And, you know, we're trying to do some work there. We're also looking at things like grazing and a few other uh, kind of ag tech stuff that, that, again, it's nascent, but I think it's getting in the right direction in terms of how we can better overcome some of the current barriers we've got to sanitation. I, I think we, we just say it over and over and over at a lot of our meetings and a lot of growers that I work with are like, we get it, there's just X, Y, Z thing that's keeping me from doing it and that's what we're trying to identify as researchers, you know, in terms of, okay, well, how do we overcome difficulty accessing the orchard in the winter due to, due to wet soil or, or whatever the other issue is. You're listening to My Ag Life, I'm Taylor Charlstrom. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Senate agriculture members repeatedly stressed the importance of crop insurance and the need to restructure commodity programs in the next Farm Bill during the panel's latest hearing on the Farm Bill. Senate Ag Chair Debbie Stabenow led off the call to protect and improve crop insurance in the next Farm Bill. Crop insurance is the number one risk management tool for producers, but historically hasn't been available to some farmers who are most in need of it. I'm going to continue to focus on expanding and strengthening crop insurance for all our farmers. Crop insurance and commodity programs must be maintained and where possible improved in the next Farm Bill to help producers face challenges from high inflation and input costs to adverse weather events. The American Farm Bureau Federation predicts a 16% drop in net farm income this year on top of a further 4% hike in record costs. USA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, Robert Bonney. We are committed to crop insurance. We know how important it is in your neck of the woods, but it's important across the country. And we think creating incentives for producers to take advantage of crop insurance, same thing on the NAP side, the more we can do to get them into those, those um, regular safety net programs, we think that's critically important. But with possible budget cuts under House GOP control, top Ag Senate Republican John Boozman called for ways to reallocate dollars from flush disaster aid spending. We're spending the money anyway. $70 billion is a huge amount of money compared to the $3 billion, less than $3 billion that we're, you know, that are in our actual programs. How do we capture, maybe capture some of that $70 billion, put it into programs that people can rely on? including ARC and PLC, where Farm Service Agency Administrator Zach Duchenau says producer stress reference prices need to be adjusted to deal with tougher economic conditions than in the last Farm Bill. 
The Organic Trade Association applauded the USDA and the National Organic Program for the new Strengthening Organic Enforcement Rule. The new regulation will do a lot to protect organic fraud and protect the integrity of organic agriculture throughout the supply chain. Tom Chapman, CEO of the Organic Trade Association, talks about the new regulation. Uh, When the standards were first published, they focused on controlling entities that touch the product. So farmers, processors, who, you know, transform it or mixing it, making it into finished goods, and anyone who's labeling it. That's really where the standards focused. It didn't focus on the folks who stored products but maybe didn't process it at all, or all the entities that handled the products on paper. They traded, they brokered them. And as organic grew from $6 billion to $63 billion, the supply chains got more complex, and those entities become much more prevalent, and there's opportunities for them to switch around some paperwork and make something conventional look organic. While those fraudulent cases were rare, it is important to get a handle on the situation. You know, organic relies on consumer trust, and any cases of fraud is a case too many. So we worked with Congress in 2018 to mandate in that farm bill additional enforcement activities and a lot of the requirements in there to bring this rule into force now in 2023. He talks about the importance of consumer trust in the organic market. The really good part of organic is it's the only eco-label out there that comes with federal enforcement. So when you look at a label like natural or regenerative or non-GMO, if there's any cheaters in that system, the federal enforcement activity just isn't out there, isn't isn't available to them. First of all, you're not going to hear about fraud because there's just no one checking for fraud. And then you don't have that robust system of assurance that you do with organic. Despite recent challenges, Chapman says the U.S. organic industry is still growing. It had a massive growth under the first years of COVID. Last year, the survey grew from 61 and some change to 63 billion. So it still grew last year, but we did see a dampening of that growth. Organic, like most other commodities, are experiencing the same issue with inflation and in particular supply chain impacts. Once again, Tom Chapman, CEO of the Organic Trade Association. What were some of the records and notable adjustments within USDA's February U.S. Rice Supply and Demand Balance Sheet? USDA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. An import record within USDA's February balance sheet for our nation's rice. World Agricultural Outlook Board Chair Mark Jekinowski explains. We reduced our rice import forecast by 3 million hundredweight. With that change, it's currently sitting at 42 million hundredweight. That would still be record large, but the pace of imports has slowed down to some degree. The export forecast, while not record setting, was notable in that. That would be the lowest level of exports since the 1985-1986 crop year. We reduced our export forecast by 4 million hundredweight. So right now our U.S. rice exports are forecast at 62 million hundredweight. And there was an adjustment up in the season-ending average rice price from the previous month by 20 cents per hundredweight. That $19.40 forecast, if achieved, would be a record high season average price. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges, and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 
or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.